Living like Jesus lived. We began this about five weeks ago, and uh, I remember one person commented on that we can't live for Jesus, and they, they got into thinking I was going to go all legalistic. <laughs> Boy, I talk about bait and hook and pull them in. But the idea of living like Jesus is living the abiding life, living a surrendered life, uh, letting him speak to our hearts and give us direction. Uh, if you're trying to figure out what that looks like, go back a couple weeks and just catch up. Um, today we're going to continue because Easter's coming. Next Sunday is the tri- uh, triumphal entry Sunday. They call it Palm Sunday, face palm or high five palm. No? Okay, forget it. That's next week. Let's dig into something really cool. The reason we're doing this series is to get a better picture of who Jesus was. And some of us, the last time we heard some of these stories was back in Sunday school when we were wee little ones. Or because when we got older, we didn't care and listen. That's kind of how it worked, you know, if you're a teenager. Now, this church is unique. Everybody sits and listens, and it's really good. They remember everything I say all the time, you know. It's fun. All right. I want to point out something profound that Jesus does. Because if he does this for one person, he does it for many. There's something bigger going on. And the reason these stories are being shared with us is to give us different glimpses as to how Jesus connected with different people in different crises. This particular story, Jesus returned to Jerusalem to observe one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate, there was a pool called in Aramaic, the House of Loving Kindness, the Bethsaida pool. And this pool is surrounded by five covered porches. Three, oh, sorry, hundreds of sick people were lying there on the porches, the paralyzed, the blind, the crippled, all of them waiting for their healing. For an angel of God would periodically descend into the pool to stir the waters. And the first one who stepped into the pool after the waters swirled would instantly be healed. Now, I think everybody would be standing ready to hit go. It moved! Well, you know, and it didn't work, you know, because there was no movement. Can, can you imagine what could happen at poolside? <sighs> you guys can't. Oh, come on. There's, there's, there's much humor that could be found in these stories. Anyway, there was a man who had been disabled. Oh, by the way, this idea of the angel coming, it was a believed thing. This is what they were led to believe. Uh, it does not mean it really did happen, but did it? We don't know. Just a heads up, in case you're thinking there was a real magic pool that if you were the first one to dip in and you get healed... This is a really neat story. But having hundreds of sick people around it waiting, they're hanging on for any kind of hope. That tells you something. That means people around us are craving for just a sliver of hope. And they'll go to any place that offers them a little bit of hope. We have a lot of people today like that. There was a young man, sorry, there was a man who had been disabled for 38 years lying among the multitude of the sick. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that the man had been crippled for a long time. So Jesus said to him, do you truly long to be healed? Let's pause. How did Jesus know the man had been ill for a long time? According to what we've covered so far, what, how would he know that if Jesus, which he was, fully God and fully man, and did not live out of his divinity, using the God card every time? Okay, how did he know? 
His father was telling him. He was abiding in the father. So his father told him, this man. Keep in mind, how many does it say were there? Hundreds of sick people. And all we hear is one. Couldn't he just wave his cane and, whoo, you're all done. You know, and they all get up and go. Like, that would have been really cool. Would it not? I think so. Like, go to the hospital. Whoosh, healed. Um, I'd love that. But here, one man. God spoke to Jesus. Pointed out one man. Okay, here's the lesson for you and I. We can see a lot of people hurting. We can see a lot of people in crises. We may even want to try and help all of them out. But God's not absent from the situation. He sees all of the hurting people. He may be guiding you to only speak to one. Because that person has been made ready for what's about to happen. We jump the gun an awful lot. We try to help Jesus out. We try to help the Holy Spirit out by getting over-involved, trying to rescue people in their pain too quickly. That's why Jesus asks this big question that I quickly read. He asks, do you truly long to be healed? Do you really want to be healed? Well, look at the answer. The sick man answered, Sir, there's no way I can get healed for I have no one who will lower me into the water when the angel comes. As soon as I try to crawl to the edge of the pool, someone else jumps in ahead of me. Now, apparently it was super, super deep. Like this particular pool was really deep. As in, you better know how to swim. All right? That's what's going on here. Did you notice the man does not even answer Jesus' question. Why would he not answer? It's a simple yes or no in my mind, wouldn't you? Like, do you want your arm to get healed? Or, you know, Dallas, did you want your shoulder healed two minutes after surgery? Yes. That's an easy yes. But this man had been, let's say, downtrodden, emotionally beat up for 38 years. He had given all hope of that. And all he could see, all he could see was the pool didn't even notice Jesus so much. Jesus just asked him a question. I think all he's doing is staring at the pool. He may not even recognize that Jesus is who he is. It's very possible. But he sees the pool and says, no, I can't. Nobody's pushing me. <laughs> Do you want to really get healed? There are a lot of people today who love their circumstances. They love the attention they're getting from Woe is me. Oh, no. I'm out of a job again. Why? Why? I spoke back to the boss. Maybe you should shut up. You're, like, you're, you're wondering. They're, they're, they're in constant crisis, constant financial crisis, constant physical, constant relationship crisis. So every time you talk to them, you go, how you doing? Oh, well, you know. And it's the same song, same record all the time. And then if you ask them, do you really want to get better? Well, they'll say, yes, but you know what? I'm sure milking my needs from everybody else really well right now. I'm getting attention from so many people, and then when they don't get that attention, they, they move to the next crowd of people, church, wherever, and they, they, they milk their needs there until, until they get their little pats in the backs, until they move on, and, and they're just in constant crisis. And, well, I'll pay for counseling. That's great. No, give me money for food instead. They don't want the real help. Do you really want to get better? Do you really want to get healed? This is a question of your soul. 
Your circumstance you are in right now, do you really want to move on? Do you want to feel hope? Do you want a better experience? That's something you need to honestly hash out with your Heavenly Father inside. Jesus does something powerful here. So he went from asking a question, and the very first thing, here's the trick, what people do today, they run to their excuse. Don't do that. In fact, maybe stop for a moment. If you're one of those, go, whoo, I don't want to be like that guy at the pool of Bethsaida. I don't want to just be looking at the pool thinking that's my only source. When there's someone with you and in you who is a greater source, Jesus said to the man, stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and you will walk. And immediately he stood up, and he was healed. So he rolled up his mat and walked again. Now this miracle took place on the Jewish Sabbath. Do you see a little bit of a pattern the last couple of weeks where Jesus does these phenomenal healings on the Sabbath? On Sunday. How many of you grew up in a church where you couldn't work on Sundays, you couldn't, you couldn't mow the lawn on Sundays because neighbors are watching and we got to be a good testimony and all that stuff, or you can't do house jobs, no vacuuming on a Sunday because it's the day of rest. How many of you grew up with that? Okay. I had people judge me for that. I was in a church that was 200 years old and some of the people were still there. <laughs> Yep, they're the really good judges, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and that attitude was there, and it was in many, many places, but they had no problem let their pastor work on a Sunday. Oh, and then they go out to Swiss Chalet and make somebody else work on a Sunday. Oh, and then to be a good witness, they don't tip. They're a bunch of cheapos. I always wanted the smoking section as a server. Because they didn't, they were, they were honest, they were real. They, they were, I knew on, on Sundays, on Sundays, I wanted the smoking section because I got tips over there instead of the cheapos that just bought water. You know? Do you know what I mean? Like their, their message was one of tight and judgmentalism. You know, come be like us. Yeah, really, I want to be like that. But on a Sunday, and here Jesus says, uh, 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 quietly under his breath, he's thinking, I am the Sabbath. I am the rest you seek. When the Jewish leaders saw the man walking along, carrying his sleeping mat, they objected and said, what are you doing carrying that? Don't you know it's a Sabbath? It's not lawful for you to carry things on a Sabbath. Because it's called work. Picking up your mat. And I think they even had rules of how many steps you could take. Like, it, it's just nuts, the rules. Any rules-focused person on rules-based acceptance and righteousness, oh my goodness, they, they, they'd understand. They'd go, yeah, that's what the rules are. But Jesus did not come to bring rules. He came to set you free from the rules that have been put into place to make you acceptable to God. He has come and has made you acceptable. That's why Jesse said what he said about that song, Nothing But the Blood. What can wash away my sins? Hang on, no, 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 no. Lyrics are wrong. What has washed away my sin? You are made right. You are clean. Then the, he answered him, The man who healed me told me to pick it up and walk. <laughs> Didn't even know his name. 
What man, they asked. Who was this man who ordered you to carry something on the Sabbath? But the healed man couldn't give them an answer, for he, hadn't yet, he didn't yet know who it was, since Jesus had already slipped away into the crowd. He might have got a little heads up from God. Psst, sneak out about now, go to the left, and there's going to be a guard on your right, go to the... Go to, I don't know. It's like having a little thing in your ear and you're on a spy mission and they tell you somebody's watching from the top what's going on. You know, this, this is how God could have been talking to Jesus because he could see. <laughs> this is a picture of Jesus seeking out one person in a crowd of hundreds and not doing a blanket healing. And then the story of what are your eyes focused on? Are your eyes focused on just your tragedy, your difficulty, and all you can see? So when healing option comes along or an opportunity comes along, do you want to be healed? Do you want this to be fixed? Oh, all your excuses. No excuses. Let's live a life of absolute surrender. Another story. The adulteress that was forgiven. Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, okay, it's important, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then, in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. It's morning, early morning still. Jesus is teaching. Funny, he's, he's there teaching early, and people were listening. They wanted to hear. There were crowds there, and these Pharisees set him up. This was an intentional thing. They knew who this woman was. She was doing it all the time. They still didn't stone her. They just thought, we're going to get Jesus now. We're going to set him up. We're going to trick him, and he's going to have to recant because our laws are laws. Huh. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman. What were you doing catching her anyway? How'd you, how'd you even know? Like, I'm just thinking there's a lot of questions here. If you're a good cop, you, you got a good list. We caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Please remember this. The law that they're referring to states both man and woman were to die. Where's the guy? Sorry, it takes two, baby. It takes two, you know? Like, seriously. Where? But no. In a male-dominated society, this was what was going on. And what Jesus ends up doing, he raises her back up to equal by the end of the story. Remember, we've been talking about how Jesus became the first women's liberator. Not to make them dominant, not to make men dominant, but to equal Big difference. Uh, tell us, what do you say we should do with her? <laughs> Got him now. They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. <laughs> but Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Was he writing? Was he doodling? What was he doing? Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up, looked at them, and said, Let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire, and the Greek word desire there, anamatetoros, uh, uh, means more than just simply sin. It is best translated a sinful desire. 
Let that person throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Isn't it interesting? In the, in the notes of this translation, this is the Passion Translation. Uh, if you go online and use the Bible Gateway, they have little letters beside certain words and it gives you a little more info on what those words mean. And uh, I, I never put this together before. But what did God use to create the tablets of stone, potentially? Could it have been his finger? You know, there's a little bit of the finger of God writing in Scripture. Here is the Son of God. Almighty, writing, doodling, something with his finger. Was he writing the names of the guys there? Could he have been writing the text where this was from, Ezekiel or... I forget where it was. I can't remember right now. But this is referring to an old text. Could he have written that in the dust? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. There's a lot of great make-up sermons guessing what it could be, and then, then they have this great application to what it might have meant. Okay, upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one by one, beginning with the oldest to the youngest. And by the way, the oldest to the youngest does not necessarily mean age. It's most likely referring to the scholars, the leaders of their time, uh, of the Jewish group, then the others who were their followers and disciples, then they left. So it's not necessarily age, just, just in case you overthink it. Um, with, a conv- with a convicted conscience until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up again uh, up ag- and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, Ha ha, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on, be free from a life of sin. Jewish law required two witnesses to have an accusation. Where are your accusers? I got none. If you struggle with accusation voices in your head, condemnation voices being spoken to you by religious friends, by churchianity people, by personal thoughts of false guilt and shame. Those voices are not from your Heavenly Father. Your Father only speaks affirmation and convicts you not of sin, but of righteousness. That's good news. So don't try and help God out and convict other people of their stuff which the church is so good at. I remember growing up, we had to have people come up to the front of the church when they sinned. Usually it's a couple who slept together. But anyway, I had to confess publicly. And everybody else is going, oh, terrible. Mm, oh, terrible. You know, meanwhile, half of them did it. You know, but so much easier just to judge someone else. Don't do that. That was never what that text meant to do. That's the most unloving thing any church can do. You reach out. You love. That's how we do this. He says, be free from a life of sin, as in no longer be sinning. It's not what I've created you to be, so stop acting like that. The New Testament commands are for our benefit. There's a lot of clear instructions of how we're to live. They're not laws. They're commands for our benefit. 
see them as a way of God speaking to us to save us from a lot of pain. A lot of wisdom there. Next, the fact that Jesus goes after somebody that the society hates. First, we just had a woman brought to him who was an adulteress. Okay? That was an easy pickings for the Jewish leaders. Well, here's another easy picking. A tax collector, somebody that was least liked because the Jews hated them because they were traitors. And the Romans couldn't stand them, but we needed their money. So they became tax collectors of the Jews. And these tax collectors always robbed and taxed more. And that's how they made their income and blah, blah, blah. And they would never get in trouble because the Romans went, that's your problem, not ours. Afterwards, Jesus went out and looked for a man named Matthew or Levi. He found him sitting at his tax booth, for he was a tax collector. And Jesus said to him, be my disciple and follow me. At that very moment, Matthew got up, left everything behind and followed him. How many have ever been confused by that? I have. I have heard this story since I was a wee boy. You know, what they do, just jump up and leave everything? Like, really? Like, you have to... But wait, wait, but that's exactly what it says. However it happened, that's what's implied in the story. Something happened. Whether God was doing something funky in, in Levi or Matthew, giving him the desire to want to, and immediately he left? I think that's a great possibility, because if God can do it to Jesus and speak to him, and why not? There's a lot more going on than we think. A lot more. Matthew wanted to throw a banquet to honor Jesus, so he invited Jesus to his home for dinner, along with many tax collectors. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a party. Um, <laughs> uh, and other notable sinners. Ooh, notable. Who's on your list of notable sinners? Yeah, here's your, are you on the guest list? What's your, what's your sin? <laughs> Just think about it. It's funny. All right. While they were all sitting together at the table, the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law compl complained to Jesus' disciples, why would you defile yourselves by eating and drinking with tax collectors and notable sinners? <laughs> Doesn't Jesus know it's wrong to do that? Hmm. Jesus overheard their complaining and said, who goes to the doctor for a cure? Those who are well or those who are sick? I've not come to call the righteous, but to call those who fail to measure up and bring them to repentance. He knew they did not measure up in their own minds because it was made very clear by the religious institution that they don't measure up. They knew their place. And then we have the story of Zacchaeus. This is a great story. In the city of Jericho, there lived a very wealthy man named Zacchaeus, who was the supervisor over all the tax collectors. So he's a really bad dude. All right. As Jesus made his way through the city, Zacchaeus was eager to see Jesus. He kept trying to get a, a look at him, but the crowd around Jesus was massive. Zacchaeus was a very short man and couldn't see over the heads of the people. Maple syrup festival mean anything to you? Man, poor little kids walking along, the dogs on leashes, and can't see over anything, let alone kneecaps. But anyway, he was a short man. 
and couldn't see over the heads of people. So he ran on ahead of everyone, climbed up a blossoming fig tree, which is a sycamore tree, so he could get a glimpse of Jesus as he passed by. Those sycamore trees' average height is about 40 feet. So it's a pretty good tree, and he got some height. When Jesus got, when Jesus got to that place, he looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry on down, for I'm appointed to stay at your house today. Can you see his jaw drop? I think so. So he scurried down the tree and came face to face with Jesus. Does that mean Jesus was short too? <laughs> Have you thought of that? I never thought of that. Anyway, as Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained, look at this. All the people have to have dinner with. He's going to eat in the house of a crook. Zacchaeus joyously welcomed Jesus and was amazed over his gracious visit to his home. Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and said, half of all that I own, I will give to the poor. And Lord, if I've cheated anyone, I promise to pay back four times as much as I stole. I hope he kept good records. Anyway, Jesus said to him, this shows that today life has come to you and your household. For you are a true son of Abraham. The son of a man, sorry, the son of man has come to seek out and give life to those who are lost. This is Jesus reaching out to those we want to icky stay away from. We want nothing to do with. They got too many tattoos. They, they have the wrong gender. They, they don't even know what gender they are. Uh, they, these guys are on drugs. These are, the, you name it. This person has terrible history of relationships. Oh, let's stay away from them. Oh, oh, oh. And we have our lists of people that are, no, stay away from me. And Jesus goes for them goes for them. That's a lesson. And by the way, that heart is in you. No, it's not. I don't feel like it. Yes, it is. You just need to wake up to the fact that the heart of Christ is in you. He wants you to have his eyes and see. But it may take some peeling back of layers. It may take some dusting and cleaning of your windows that you've prepared and covered in your own way so you can see through in your own way. <laughs> he came to give life to those who are lost. Then we have another cool story. There's a couple stories of Jesus and water and all that. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's get in a boat and go across the other side of the lake. Sounds like fun. Want to go? Who's got the fishing rod? Right, Dallas? Yes. There we go. So they set sail. Soon Jesus fell asleep. That's a key, okay? The wind rose, and the fierce wind became a violent squall that threatened to swamp their boat. So the disciples woke Jesus up and said, Master, Master, we're sinking. Don't you care that we're going to drown? We're all bailing, and you're sleeping. That's basically what they're saying. With great authority, Jesus rebuked the howling wind and surging waves and Instantly, they stopped and became smooth as glass. Then Jesus said to them, Why are you fearful? Have you lost faith in me? Shocked and shaken, they said with amazement to one another, Who is this man who has the authority over winds and waves that they obey him? You see, the healing the leper was pretty cool. 
watching that kid get out of the casket on his way to the cemetery was really, really cool. You know, water to wine, that was a bonus. But a storm? Seriously? They're just in awe of, oh my goodness, this, is, this just gets better and better. Did you, did you get a photo of that one? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to jot this down. Like that, these guys were keeping a record, but that's not it. There's more. He walks on water. I'm going to give you two accounts of it because it's recorded three times in the Gospels of Jesus walking on water. Uh, this one's from John 6. And each one has something significant you need to know about, especially if you haven't heard these stories for a long time because these parts I'm going to highlight probably weren't highlighted when you heard the stories. So Jesus' disciples got into a boat and headed across the lake to Capernaum. By now a strong wind began to blow and was stirring up the waters. The disciples had rowed about halfway across the lake when all of a sudden they caught sight of Jesus walking on top of the waves, coming towards them. Freak out. Who'd freak out? I'd freak out. Would you freak out? I'd freak out. Yep. But Jesus called out to them, "Uh, don't be afraid. You know who I am. As if who else would come? (laughs) They were relieved to take him in. Listen to this. Here it is. The moment Jesus stepped into the boat, they were instantly transported to the other side. Okay, they just saw a storm get calmed earlier. Jesus is walking on the water. That's freaky. And boom, we're here already? Are we there yet? It doesn't work. The answer is yes. But this, that was a cool part. That's, that's like, there's something going on that's a miracle that has some science to it that Jesus obviously was able to tap into. Here's another part. This is the one you you and I will know more. Jesus told his disciples to get into their boat, (coughs) go to the other side (coughs) of the lake. (coughs) Sorry. Uh, While he stayed behind to dismiss the people. He was just got finished preaching and (coughs) he was giving them a, yeah, I need a water. Thanks. He was just preaching to them. This is where they fed the 5,000. Um, so he went up to the hills to pray. As the night fell, he was there praying alone with God. But the disciples, who were now in the middle of the lake, ran into trouble, for the boat was tossed about by the high winds and heavy seas. At about 4 o'clock in the morning, that's early. Ugh, no thanks. And some people like getting up then. I don't understand that. Thanks, buddy. Maybe you have to wait to get older. Oh, you did have it open. Thanks. I think you have to wait to get older before you get it for. But anyway. <clears throat> Jesus came to them walking on the waves. Jesus came walking to them on the waves. When the disciples saw him walking on the top of the water, they were terrified and screamed, A ghost! <laughs> if you're Jesus, just imagine the looks on their faces. If I can get a shot of that. <laughs> Angels, did you catch that? Oh my goodness. Then Jesus said, be brave and don't be afraid. I am here. Peter shouted out, Lord, if it's really you, because I have a hard time believing this, then have me join you on the water. Did I just scare her? I'm so sorry. It's my fault, my fault. (laughs) Jesus shouted, Lord, is it really you? Then have me join you on the water. (laughs) Come and join me, Jesus replied. 
So Peter stepped out onto the water and began to walk towards Jesus. But when he realized how high the waves were, he became frightened and started to sink. Save me, Lord, he cried. And Jesus immediately stretched out his hand, lifted him up and said, Ah, what little faith you have. Why would you let doubt win? And they were, and the very moment they both stepped into the boat, the raging wind ceased. Then all the disciples crouched down before him and worshiped Jesus. They said in adoration, You are truly the Son of God. You see, the other miracles didn't quite work. <laughs> but you'll see the pattern of doubt continually happen in this. Lazarus, this is the big story. We're going to end with this one. Because next week, you'll see why when we get to the triumphal entry, how this story plays into the character of Jesus. If you don't know the story of Lazarus, you're going to know it now. Uh, I've, I've cut out some verses because it's way too much to read the whole thing. So let's roll. So his sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lazarus' sisters. Lord, our brother Lazarus, the one you love is very sick. Please come. And when he heard this, he said, hmm, this sickness will not end in death for Lazarus, but will bring glory and praise to God. This will reveal the greatness of the Son of God by what takes place. Did you guys ever read that before? Did you know Jesus ahead of time said, He's not gonna, death, death doesn't win this one. If you just do the quick reading of the story, he shows up, he's late and gets in trouble for it, and he brings them to life, and that's pretty exciting. But he's talking about it in advance. This is premeditated raising from the dead. Then Jesus added, later, verse 11, Lazarus, our friend, has just fallen asleep. It's time that I go and awaken him. <laughs> then Jesus made it plain to them, Lazarus is dead! He says it. He's not just really asleep. They weren't catching his code. So he confirms, he's dead. This is not a game. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because now you have another opportunity to see who I am so that you will learn to trust in me. Come, let's go and see. Now, did you find that line in here a little bit funny? Um, I'll give you another opportunity to see who I am. Because the walking of water didn't work fully, the healing, the raising the dead, you're just not getting it. He's doing all these miracles and signs and wonders. Now when they arrived at Bethany, which was only about two miles from Jerusalem, Jesus found that Lazarus was, had already been in the tomb for four days. It's going to be smelly, okay, for what's about to come. Four days. Many friends of Mary and Martha had come from the region to console uh, them over the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was approaching the village, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had come sooner. My brother wouldn't have died. But I know that if you were, if you, if you were to ask God for anything, he would do it for you. Jesus told her, your brother will arise and live. Wow. I wonder if he said it with a wink or gently whispered it. Martha, Jesus said, you don't have, you don't, sorry, you don't have to wait until then. I am the resurrection. I am the eternal, life eternal. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. 
do you believe this? And here's a great declaration of faith from Martha. Yes, Lord, I do. I've always believed that you are the anointed one, the Son of God, who has come into the world for us. Then she left and hurried off to her sister, Mary, and called her aside from the mourners and whispered to her, the master's here and he's asking for you. Watch this bolt. So when Mary heard this, she quickly went off to find him, for Jesus was lingering outside the village at the same spot where Martha met him. Now when Mary's friends who were comforting her noticed how quickly she ran out of the house, she bolted, okay? They followed her, assuming she was going to the tomb of her brother to mourn. When Mary finally found Jesus outside the village, she fell at his feet in tears and said, same thing your sister said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then Jesus looked at Mary, and here it is. You've got to catch this. this again, the, the reason we're doing these stories is to zoom in at the heart of Jesus. What could he be feeling that we may not have noticed before? When Jesus looked at Mary and saw her weeping at his feet and all her friends who were with her grieving, he shuddered with emotion, and was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. We've seen that in a couple of stories, have we not? What moves us to compassion? It's a good question. May we not become callous, ever. And he said to them, where did you bury him? Lord, come with us and we'll show you, they replied. And then the shortest verse in the King James Bible, Jesus wept. Two words. Then tears streamed down his face. Now, some people have wondered, why would he do that? I have a suggestion, and I share this one at many funerals. Jesus, fully God, <clears throat> fully man, not living out of his divinity, being fully human, identifies with pain and loss. This is the human Jesus responding. We need to be reminded that Jesus was and is human. He wept. Tears streamed down his face. It was not one little trickle. Ding. It was, it was streaming tears. Seeing Jesus weep caused many of the mourners to say, look how much he loved Lazarus. Yet others said, isn't this the one who opens blind eyes? Why didn't he do something to keep Lazarus from dying? You see, we always think our crisis is now over. Well, that's too late now. Give up. Pfft. Move on. I guess that didn't work. God, you let me down this time. If only. Oh my goodness, how many times do we do if only? <laughs> then Jesus, with intense emotions, came to the tomb. Intense emotion. That's a key phrase. Some people thought that Jesus was angry. Some think he's just sad for what's going on. There's another word for deep, intense emotion. What could that be? What's that? What's the word that we use when we express almost rage? What's the biblical word? Wrath. Other translations translate that word as wrath. And we assume me, we, he means ticked off. But the literal translation is deep, intense emotion. And there's nothing in this text that implies Jesus was angry at them. 
nothing. I believe all of his emotions, either for the people or what was going on, were of a heart of compassion because that is consistent with everything we've seen so far. Then Jesus, with intense emotions, came to the tomb, a cave with a stone placed over its entrance. Jesus told them, roll away the stone. Then Martha said, but Lord, it's been four days since he died. By now his body's already decomposing. Jesus looked at her thoroughly. I'm just kidding. No, he didn't really say that. Jesus looked at her and said, didn't I tell you that if you will believe in me, you'll see God unveil his power? He warned her before they even came. (laughs) This is the I told you so. So they rolled away the heavy stone and Jesus gazed into heaven and said, Father, thank you that you have heard my prayer. He's saying this for them. For you listen to every word I speak now so that these who stand here with me will believe that you have sent me to the earth as your messenger. I will use the power you have given me. And with a loud voice, Jesus shouted with authority, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. Who? He said those words for the benefit of all the listeners, and by now the place was packed with people, including the religious leaders. That declaration that you just heard, I'm one with the Father, the Father's one with me, we're the same. I have been given the authority of God. You know what that does to the religious leaders? It's going to tick them off, which we'll prove in just a moment. So they rolled away the heavy stone. Oh, yeah, did all that. Uh, Then in front of everyone, Lazarus, who had died four days earlier, slowly hobbled out. He he still had grave clothes tightly wrapped around his hands and feet and covering his face. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him loose. You know it's coming. How did he come out? Did he float out? Or even better, did he do the bunny hop? Well, it says he was tied up. He was in his grave clothes and the feet and hands. It was all tight. How did he come out? It says hobbled. I'm still working on the translation comparisons, but the image is just hilarious. He's alive is the miracle, okay? That's the cool part. In front of everybody, it all happened. From that day forward, many of those who had come to visit Mary believed in him, for they had seen with their own eyes this amazing miracle. And I think we're closing. Yep, we're closing. This one's the last, last part of it. But, but, there's always a but, and it's usually connected to religious people. But a few went back to inform the Pharisees about what Jesus had done. So the Pharisees and the chief priests called a special meeting of the high council and said, so what are we going to do about this man? Look at all the great miracles he's performing. If we allow him to continue like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will take action and destroy both our country and our people and our paychecks and our comfort of living and everything we've built so hard and worked so hard to build up. Now, uh, Caiaphas, the high priest that year, spoke up and said, you don't understand a thing. Don't you realize we'd be much better off if this one man were to die for the people than for the whole nation to perish? Oh, who could he be talking about? One dying for all? He just kind of prophesied something and didn't even know it. (laughs) I think it's great. This prophecy that Jesus was destined to die for the Jewish people didn't come from Caiaphas himself, but was moved by God to prophesy as chief, the chief priest out of the mouth of the chief 
priest. And Jesus' death would not be for the Jewish people only, but to gather together God's children scattered around the world and unite them as one. So from that day on, they were committed to killing Jesus. Hence, next week. They did not just want to kill Jesus. They were looking to take out Lazarus and Jesus. That's the key. Look through all the stories, and you'll see a pattern. They've, they've always kind of wanted to kill him. They even went after him a couple times, and he got to slip out and blah, blah, blah. But this was the icing on the cake. They're going full on after Jesus. And within not too long after this, Jesus heads towards Jerusalem. And next week, we're going to talk about the triumphal entry and what happens during that week. This Easter story is ramping up fast, and this was one of the big going after the jugulars. Let's not forget, Jesus was quite bold with claiming who he says he was.